Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. You know, it is. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet, uh, featuring articles on writing. Uh, yes, I've got one up there now about how, how you got to believe in the muse. You got to do it. You got to do it. Yes, you do. Uh, so articles on writing, the writing life. And also video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. This month, I got two with David Laskin, guy who wrote a lot of fascinating nonfiction books before turning to fiction in his 60s. Yes, and he's, the book is doing great, called What, uh, what Sammy Knew. And uh, so I had a great conversation about that. And also, oh, uh, yeah, I took the whole conversation I did with Martha Beck uh, on this show and I had the video from it, put the whole thing up there. That was a great conversation with Martha about uh, leading your life, a life of integrity. She's so cool. Anyway, it's all on there at authormagazine.org. I encourage you to go visit, check it all out. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They've been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. They won't stop now. No, they won't. And they are putting up virtual conferences. Listen, so we're going to be doing one in June, I believe, and uh, we'll be doing one in September. So, you know, you can come to these from wherever you are, wherever. It doesn't matter. Learn about it at pnwa.org. Speaking of conferences, I will be teaching at the Writer's Digest uh, yearly conference. I don't know if I'm going to be there in person because we don't know what's going to be happening, do we? But I will be doing an all-day, everyone-has-what-it-takes workshop. Yes, based on my new book coming out in June. Day-long, fearless writing kind of thing. Excuse me. Uh, So that's something to look forward to if you think you'd like to make it. Again, it might be virtual. It might be live. I don't know, but I'll be there regardless. Okay. Okay. Hey, got a good one today. Mr. Joshua M. Green is with us. Uh, Joshua is a popular lecturer on Holocaust history and an author whose biographies have sold more than a half a million copies worldwide. Green's groundbreaking book on the Dachau war crime trials, Justice at Dachau, the Trials of an American Prosecutor, was deemed riveting history and writing at its best by Douglas Brinkley, presidential historian for CNN. His renowned work on survivor testimony, Witness, Voices from the Holocaust, was the basis for a feature documentary for national PBS and chosen as one of the best Holocaust films by Facet Media. A former instructor at Hofstra and Fordham Universities, Green is the recipient of numerous awards for his books and films. He sits on the board of Yale University Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies and has served as a director of strategic planning for the United Nations Summit of Religious and Spiritual Leaders. He's got a new book out, not today. That's right. It dropped today, and it's great. It's called Unstoppable, Siggy B. Wilsig's Astonishing Journey from Auschwitz Survivor to Wall Street Legend. And he's a wrong person. He's here with us now. Oh, there you are. How you doing, Joshua? How you doing? <laughs> I got I'm doing it. fine. I'm doing fine, Bill. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's good to have you on. Great book. Um, uh, really, you know, I'm always amazed. I, I shouldn't be, but that people can make biographies readable. I know, I know it sounds a little insulting, but I feel like it's, I think from a writer's standpoint, I feel like it's a real challenge because you've got to dig out 
everything that's true. You don't have the luxury of wiggle room, do you? And you've got to make it read as much like a, a true narrative as possible. Is that a fair assessment of the challenge? Well, that was very good. Very, very concise summary of um, why biographers are such miserable people most of the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's scary uh, when someone entrusts their life to you. Yeah. And you are responsible for how the world will perceive them. That That's a very daunting responsibility. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. To do it well, to make a story readable, exciting. Uh, I suppose it helps to have some innate writing talents, but it when young people and students ask, you know, yeah, that I, I think the best advice to give someone looking to get into writing, whether it's biographical or otherwise, is stop worrying about it. Just go and live your life, travel, see some of the world. Once we can open up and travel, yeah. and expose yourself to art and music, and you know, find out more about who you are. Before you can write about anybody else, you have to know something about yourself. Yeah. And is that was that was that your arc, Joshua? Did you have to do some uh, some living? Did you have to get some living under your belt before you could start doing a little writing? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when I was when I was 19, I mean, look, I'm 70 years old now. When I was 19, I was a product of the 60s and yeah, uh, yeah. dropped out of the University of Wisconsin to go to India. Wow. Oh. I wanted to have a career in journalism and writing, Yeah. Um, but was a product of my age and, and was yeah. seeking something deep yeah. and um, got very turned on in India by meditation and yoga and, and a, yeah. a broad view of the universe. And that's yeah. kind of what got me started. That's great. And I, I noticed you did you, you one of the things you talk you, you lecture on is. Uh, mindfulness in in business is that am I am I remembering it correctly, or the the role yeah, of mindfulness um, in the in the business world? Yeah, there, there's a, a movement, uh, a pace in in American business and corporate industry to uh, recognize employees not just as hired hands, people who have to check their souls at the door at nine o'clock right. and then yeah. pick them up at seven o'clock at night, but as whole people who need to be honored and respected and all of them, all of their various component parts to be nourished. And weird. Meditation <laughs> and mindfulness are good. To, good what to a weird to idea. Okay. I'm listening. Yeah, that's right. Tell me on so this. Strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. I've actually yeah. talked to some of the people involved in that movement. And uh, I think, you know, what's great is it's not just the thing is, and I promise we're going to get back to Siggy, but what's interesting about that is it's not just because, it's the right thing to do, which it is just on a lot of levels, but it's also, I think, good business. I think happier people work better, do better work, bring their selves to it. You know, there's more to it than just be a mensch. You know, there's actually, I think, you know, I think there's actual like profit to be gained from it. Uh, that's, that's my take as someone who doesn't actually, isn't actually engaged in it. It's a fascinating discussion, and I, I think we should pick that up next time we speak. That's right. Okay. So, <laughs> so, but but you are interested in telling other people's stories, and obviously you have an interest in the stories of people who either lived through the Holocaust or were involved in in it in some some way. How did you come to that? How what what? Because 
a lot of people are interested in it, but you obviously took a professional interest. How did that happen? Um, after living for 13 years in ashrams and yoga communities. Oh, 13. Um, All right. I came back and finished my degrees at Hofstra University. Yeah. And um, started lecturing on Holocaust history. And people were always asking me the same question. They were saying, how can – you're such a spiritual guy, right? In my family, I'm right. the one they called the spiritual guy. Right. You're supposed to be a spiritual guy. How do you reconcile your view of the divine, beneficent universe right. with right. The, the horrors and the atrocities that took place uh, 80, 85 years ago in Europe? And for right. years, I didn't have a good answer. I just didn't right. know what right. to say. And so I, when I had the opportunity, came along for me to dive into the biographies of survivors and other witnesses to the Holocaust, I, I took it. Right. And it has helped me. It's helped me to come to a – I'm not Solomon. I don't have all the answers. But right. I think I'm closer, closer to understanding how how we can live in a universe where both things are possible. Right, right, right. Well, that's that's every – you know, I, I'm, my journey is definitely a spiritual one that, that, that I'm on and that I've been on for a while. And I think that if you're going to be on that journey, you have to reconcile the suffering and cruelty. Like, how is this possible? And you just, it just, you're going to have to confront it on some level. And, and so you went to the to as bad as it's been on planet earth in the last hundred years, you went to Auschwitz, you went to Dachau and how in having them tell you your story, their stories, what was it about hearing the stories that helped you begin to understand that? How did, how did them telling you their tale help make that make sense to you? Well, we can't understand what they went through because we weren't there. Right. But by right. hearing them describe their experiences, we can imagine it. And the power right. of writing is the ability to evoke in the imagination something that might otherwise be unimaginable and incomprehensible. I do have to tell you, though, it was so dark. I read, wrote maybe yeah. a dozen survivor biographies before unstoppable right i was done i was i was finished i just didn't right. want to have anything to do with it anymore and then one day the phone yeah. rang and a voice at the other end of the line who turned out to be siggy wilzig's son ivan uh-huh. said you know i've read some of your books and i think you're the man you're the guy who's got to write my father's biography right. and right. i told him point blank i said i'm sorry ivan i can't i I, I'm yeah. no more darkness for me. I just finished yeah. the biography of George Harrison, which was pure joy. Right. I'm just going right. to the light now. And he said, no, no, you don't understand. My father was the light. He was a blazing torch for every immigrant who ever came to America. And he came here with nothing and built a $4 billion empire. And he, he was a, a, a beacon of light for everyone. And I did some research and he, he had not been lying. So you yeah. wanted was really one of the most amazing. It, you know, what's astonishing is that because, you know, anyone could be forgiven for living through what he lived through as a young man in the concentration camps and coming out so psychically scarred that it's just all you can do to get up every day and not hate your fellow man and not be tormented by nightmares, you know, or walking nightmares you'd be forgiven if that's what if that's what it did to you and yet and i'm sure it did to some people it had to have to some people right who lived through it but really were never able to get right with it 
but yet, I, I don't know not anyone who, who got past it. I don't think you All ever the get over yeah, the Holocaust. Right. No, not right. completely. But, but, but not let it ruin it. Way of dealing with it. Yeah. Here's how Siggy dealt with it. He had nightmares every day of his life. And when I mean nightmares, I mean things he, he wouldn't even want to tell people about. Right. One of them right. was seeing his own children entering the fires of the crematorium. Wow. Oven. Right, right. He he said something astonishing just in the last few weeks of his life in 2000 and the end of 2002. He said, I don't think I could live without the nightmares. He said, the nightmares give me this ultra-realistic sense of the beauty of being alive, especially as a Jew, and I would never give that up. That marked wow. me. Hearing him say that, wow. that, that marked me. And wow. that's how he lived his life, too. He was a joyful... Yeah man who just loved America. He loved being in the United States. He said, my success like this could never have happened anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> he was so, right. such a happy guy. He used to get up in the rest in restaurants and start singing and dancing. Oh my God. Oh, his, his poor children. <laughs> I love this man, but Jesus, no dad, don't do it. <laughs> well, you know, Ivan said at first it was kind of shocking, but after a while they got used to it and they appreciated having a father who loved his life so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. kind of one of the reasons I chose to write Unstoppable. I, I fell in love with this man. He, he was yeah. irresistible for me and uh, a very different side of the experience of the Holocaust. And so, yeah, you know, I can understand not wanting to go back into it because, you know, nobody, I think everyone would be changed by an experience like that, but no one would want to repeat it. You know, and the thing is about when you do the research and the reading, even though you are at, at a considerable distance, the imagination is powerful, as you know. And I just reading this was the reading the part, the 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 um, Auschwitz part. It's just brutal for me because I can picture it and I can see the bodies and I can mm -hmm. I just and it's it's tough, you know, and the imagination is that powerful. So I would imagine that would be rough on you. And even though you want I don't know. Maybe, is there a strong desire in you to make sure these people's stories are told just from a sort of legacy yeah, um, standpoint? Let me, preface, let me preface my answer to you by saying, first of all, I'm so appreciative of the theme of your show. It's oh, a thanks. wonderful uh, entry into the thinking and the craft of writing. And uh, um, so let me confess something here <laughs> to you okay. and to your listeners. Yeah. Um, my Achilles heel is that I always want to be more literary than I'm actually uh, capable of being. Okay. I, you know, I, I'm in love with beautiful language. You know, language uh -huh. for me is, that's my drug of choice. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, but I don't do it very well. And I'm, I'm <sighs> most effective when I'm honest, when yeah. I write from within my skill set instead of trying to, have skills I don't possess. Yeah. And when, especially when you're talking about something as grim as the Holocaust, you really have to be accurate. Yeah. You must not embellish. Em nope. Embellishing descriptions of the Holocaust is fuel for denial. You know, you, you're you're right. part of the problem. Right. So a lot right. of it is setting aside your skills as an author and just allowing the survivor as the expert in his or her story to tell that story in his or her own words. Yeah. Respecting that. I, I would think I have a theory, Joshua, maybe you don't believe in it, but I think every writer 
has exactly the skills they need to do to tell the story they're trying to tell, that you have exactly what you need to do what you need to do. You may love and appreciate a certain kind of style or approach in other people's work, but it may be that it just doesn't belong in your work. Does that, mm-hmm. does that make sense? That you, are, you have what you need to do what you are sort of put here on earth to do. Do you buy that? I do, but I want to respond as though Siggy Wilsig were here okay. answering you, responding right. to you. All I right. think Siggy would say, never give in to the despair of thinking you don't possess the tools that you need to achieve what you want to do. Oh, absolutely. He was someone, he, he was someone who, um, by his life, showed that there are, if you're honest and if your intent is noble and yeah. if your purpose is, is pure and good, there are forces that will come to your aid that you could never even have imagined existing. Yes. Yes. I'll give you I a, can agree. I give you a quick story about Please. how he did it? Please. Yeah, yeah. He was, he was on a death march from Auschwitz in January of 45, freezing cold winter. He's yeah. down to maybe 95 pounds at this point. When yeah. the Nazi guards bedded down the prisoners for the night, he, he had his shoes were, were wooden clogs that were falling off because the shoelaces were deteriorating in the snow and the sleet. And without shoes, he'd get an infection. And right. his body didn't have the resources to, to combat that. He would die. What did he have? Well, in his pocket, the only thing he took with him from the camp was a spoon. Right. Whenever, when the guards weren't looking, he crawled over to a little sapling, a little tree, and then used the edge of the spoon to score strips of bark off the tree. He rubbed them in his palms to warm them up and braided them together into shoelaces and tied them around yeah. his shoes. And sure enough, they held. Yeah. A, literally a thread of bark saved his life. Right. And I think that would have been a mess. That's one of his the takeaways from Unstoppable. Don't give in to despair. There's always a yes. thread. If you look carefully and if you trust the system of your own intelligence and, and that it's a benign and beneficent universe, you'll yeah. find that thread. You'll find some way out of the darkness. Yeah. Well, he was a man of faith, of pretty strong faith, as I, you know, as I understand it. And um, I do think that helps. I do think it helps if you understand there's more, there's something bigger than you at play that can be of Very nice. help yeah. to you, right? Very good. I, and it doesn't mean having to be religious. That's, that's no. different. No, no. But Siggy tells a story, it's in Unstoppable, that his first airplane ride was on a rainy, cloudy day. Yeah. The plane broke through the cloud bank, and on the other side, it was this bright, beautiful, brilliant sun, and it was a gorgeous blue sky. And he said, in that moment, my faith in the Almighty was confirmed. It was like God was speaking to me that sometimes a cloud like Hitler gets between us, but don't right. despair. I'm always here for you. I'm always right. here. You know, That's it. when you – as beautiful – and, you know, I write to me, writing is a great metaphor for everything. It just is to me. And there's such an important moment in writing. And it doesn't matter if you write fiction or nonfiction. I write creative nonfiction, personal essays and this sort of thing. You reach a moment at the end of a sentence and you don't know what's coming next. And I've learned for myself, I have to get quiet and I have to wait 
and I have to let the thing that wants to come next come to me. And you can call it your muse. You can call it universal intelligence. You can call it God, whatever you want. But there is something that I feel I'm in communication with, in a relationship with, that I rely on when, I, when I'm waiting to know, find out what comes next. Does that, does that ring true for your writing experience, Dolph? <laughs> Well, well, now you're talking like the yogis. I think there's a trip to <laughs> India for you and me and our future. Maybe, Bill. maybe, I think maybe. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how I see it. I guess it's my uh, it's my spiritual practice, or one of them, let's say. Yeah. The, if that makes sense. It's it's hard, isn't it? It's 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 hard to sometimes overcome our own self doubts and and uh, our self recriminations. You know, we all yeah. carry around sadnesses of different kinds sure and um sure. that's why that's why i wrote unstoppable i love this man this man was a a, a, a blazing fire of, of hope and encouragement for other people yeah. he, even though he became so successful he was always there for others always if somebody wow. was suicidal or if someone was sick he would stop everything he was doing and just just go to them you know money was not the goal he was right crazy rich but money was right. the gold money was a means for doing good in the world right and that's a model that's a story worth that's I beautiful. thought that was a story worth telling did you you know a lot of i mean we've been talking about this stuff in in, in auschwitz but most of the story takes place in america and, and is the story of a of a penniless immigrant and this was being written obviously it's published today but you've been writing it for the last i'm sure it took you more than a few days to write and so <laughs> while you were doing all this work um, we had a time where there's a lot of stuff about immigrants floating around this country. Did that occur to you as you were doing your work at all, or did, that, did you not make oh. any connection there? Um, Unstoppable is more relevant today than when I started doing the interview seven years ago. I mean, right. Bill, you might, have, might remember that moment on January 6th when there was a scene of a man with a sweatshirt with the words Camp Auschwitz. That's right. Death head emblazoned yep. and printed on it. Yep. You know, racism and, uh, and anti-Semitism are yeah. at the heart of uh, the hatred that, that, we're, that we've been living with for so long. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, we need to take stock of it. Siggy would say, <laughs> what would Siggy say? Right. Siggy would say, don't think that my story is not relevant to you because you're not Jewish. Right. He said, today right. they come after, tomorrow it'll be some other immigrant, immigrant group. So his, right. his, his story is the story for anybody who has any connection to an immigrant history. Yeah, yeah. What, and we all what, do. What Almost everybody do. does. Almost yeah. everybody That's does. Most of the, the most of the country, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so you're doing the research and you're doing the writing and then all this stuff with Trump and the border, that's all going on. That must have been a, that must have been a, I don't know. Did it, do you feel like there was the energy of that was informing the writing at all, or maybe just didn't make the you weren't thinking about it? What was that like? It reinforced for me. That's a tricky question. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, it reinforced for me the importance of good character. It mm. reinforced for me that leadership is not a matter of um, material power. It's it's a matter of spiritual power. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been very influential people throughout history who weren't multimillionaires. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> I, I yeah. think, you know, the, the greatest contributions have been made by very humble people. Yeah. Um, and, and not 
demagogues, you know, looking for self-aggrandizement. But, That's right. But people who had big hearts, not big heads, but big hearts. Yeah. And Siggy had the biggest heart of anyone I've met in a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and, yeah, you know, think, well, right. I, I do think that, you know, there are people who are big figures who bring about change. But I'm a firm believer that every time that change, the change we want to see, the more compassionate world we want to see really happens when two strangers sit next to each other on a bus and are kind to each other. When two people meet and they're kind to each other, that those and somebody and something breaks down in one of them when they weren't going to trust and then they trusted. I think that it's those little moments that go unwritten about, unheralded, never seen, no one makes a movie out of them, but they accumulate and accumulate, accumulated kindness, I do think leads like a wave to the kind of change we believe we want and that we march for and write books about and I try to help be a part. Does that make sense? Oh, what a lovely observation. You're quite a guy. That oh, in, in, in Buddhism, that's called the Buddha nature. That ah. if anyone in the world is suffering, that's a part of me suffering yeah. there. Right. And we see ourselves in the other. I, I love there's a saying by Carl Jung. It says, what if the worst of the offenders, the person in, most in need of my compassion, turns out to be me? What's that? <laughs> oh, that's good. Jung was a good one, boy. Oh, that's nice. All right. So what did you, so I, I feel I've been talking about this, but you know, we all change. When I always say to my students, when you write a book, the book belongs to the reader. Now it's not yours anymore. It belongs to them. But what you went through writing it, that belongs to you. That will always be yours. That's how you change. So hmm. how did you, what, what did writing this do to old Josh? He's written a bunch of books, but you must've come out a little different on the other side of it. Is it can you, mm -hmm. can you quantify it? Um, well, it made me appreciate being an American because ah. the, the role of America as liberators was driven home for me. Yeah. Uh, it made me appreciate the opportunities that we have here that most of the world just does not have access to. I know. Yeah. Um, it also reminded me that um, each of us in our own way is can be unstoppable <laughs> yeah. if, no. if we take yeah. inspiration. You know, yeah. from the life of someone like Siggy Wilsick, yeah. then it's possible for each of us to make our contribution. Um, one of the interviews I did years ago at the United Nations was with a man named Stephen Rockefeller. And I can be a little, you know, brazen <laughs> yeah. when I talk to people. So I asked him, hey, what's it like being a Rockefeller? Right. And he took it seriously. Now, Stephen had found Buddhism earlier in his life. Oh, okay. And he said something that I never forgot. He said, some of us are called upon to play out our parts on a grand stage, on a world stage. Right. Others on a more modest stage. Who's to say which is more important? That's right. Our job is to take the opportunities that are in front of us and make the most of them. That's good. And that was, that was Siggy. He may have had power and position, but it wasn't always that way. Right. And, and I don't think in some respects he became a different man after he achieved uh, the head of two publicly traded corporations, an oil company and a banking right. company, a very, very powerful and influential. It was right. the unchanged Siggy, the, the man who always was there with a hand out to help others, 
Yeah. Um, the man who spoke out against injustice, which was one of the vows he made when he came to America, he said, I will never stop speaking my mind when I see injustice being done. Right. Um, those are important. Those are important lessons, I think, for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I've got, I have a couple more questions for you or one more, but before I get to those, Joshua, uh, Unstoppable, it's out today. We're all fine. Books are sold, but are you going to be, uh, I know I got a book coming out in June. I'm, we're planning my virtual launch, you know, cause that's what we have to do. Are you going to do some virtual events of some kind so people can actually see you talk about this fellow? Yeah, uh, if people go to the website, unstoppablesiggy.com, they'll see uh-huh. the calendar there. There's a number of conferences and author interviews and lectures coming up. Yeah, you bet. Great, great, great. Are you looking forward to that? Nervous about it? Looking forward to it? How do you feel? No, I'm kind of past the nervous part. <laughs> <Doing> <laughs> this, as you say, for a few days, you know, after a few yeah. days, you kind of lose the nervous part. Yeah, no, it's yeah, more yeah. really wanting to do justice to this man. Um, yeah. Once again, that responsibility of someone's life being entrusted to you to be told properly and, and respectfully and accurately uh, weighs yeah. heavily. I, I think it's come out okay. <laughs> if I do say so myself, yeah. it's it, a heck of a ride. It's an amazing story. I mean, this it is. It, yeah, hey, listen, is a story that's so crazy. It's just you crazy. told it really well too, Joshua. Uh, you know, you're not coming oh, looking for praise, you. but you did a you really did a good job. Uh, it's I I know I. I Stress the readability, but you you were able to apply your storytelling skills to a probably at times difficult subject, and I thought you did really well. So kudos to you. Well, thank you. That means coming from you, that means a lot to me. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, listen, I got one more question for you, young man. I want you to finish this sentence <laughs> for me. I want you to finish the sentence. If writing all the oh, you've done a lot of it. All the writing you've done has taught you anything. It's taught you what? That some stories are not meant to be written. Some stories are meant to be a song. Some stories are meant to be a painting. Some stories are meant to be told in silence. And I think if you put the ego aside of wanting to be a quote-unquote author and allow the story to tell you how it needs to be told, you can't go wrong. Oh, man. You're speaking my language, Joshua. That is awesome. Hey, (laughs) Congratulations on the book, and I, good luck with it. I hope you enjoy spreading the word. Oh, thank you so much, Bill. You're a good interviewer. I appreciated our time together. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, yeah, people. It's true. Not everyone. Let the story tell you. He is so right. Let it tell you. Get out of the way, author. Just get out of the way. Let it tell you what you want to do. Okay. Hey, listen, I will be back next week, although it won't be live. That I recorded a conversation with someone about a month ago. That will be what I'm putting up next week. So until then, uh, go find something you love to do and do it. Uh-huh.